Um, I want to highlight for you, you, you all know if you've been following along, this is the last message of our uh, three-part series on the temptation of Christ. I just want to give you a little highlight for what we're go- where we're going to be going uh, next uh, in two weeks. Next week, we have a very uh, special Sunday that we want all of you to be a part of. Uh, We're going to be uh, sharing with you, giving a little window into our Celebrate Recovery ministry. It's going to be our Celebrate Recovery Sunday. And we're going to bring some folks up here to share their testimony, to give you a little eye view as to what happens on our Monday nights uh, at Celebrate Recovery. And I think you might be surprised um, because sometimes there's a stigma of like, oh, those are the people that, you know, battle addiction and that's, that's for them. I think what you might find through these, some of these testimonies is a little bit of yourselves. Some of the things that we all wrestle with. And that's kind of why we addressed this uh, temptation series in these last three weeks. So you don't want to miss that. It's going to be a wonderful time of testimonies and worship. So we invite you to be a part of that. And then the following week, we're going to be gearing ourselves up for Easter. Can you believe that? We're going to be gearing up uh, for five weeks and uh, we're, going through, we're going to be going through a series. It talks about spiritual disciplines, but we're calling it the insanity loop. Because we all know that the definition of insanity is doing the things, same things over and over and expecting different results. And sometimes that applies to our faith. So we're going to help, uh, hopefully give you some helpful tools to break out of that insanity loop and really get yourselves geared and prepared as uh, Easter season arrives so we can have this impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we all celebrate on Easter Sunday. But don't look too far ahead because we still have our last uh, Sunday here uh, on the, the temptation of Christ. And if, again, if you've been following with us, Pastor Steve has spoken to us the last couple of weeks on the temptation of Christ. The first one was uh, the, 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 the temptation of appetite. And remember talking about the appetites, the good appetites that God has given us, but they get twisted um, into temptations that lead us down the wrong paths. And Um, The next one was about approval, and today I'm going to talk to you about uh, the third and final temptation of Christ, which was ambition, ambition. So I was reading a book, uh, rereading a book that I had recently gotten that was uh, by an author by the name of Craig Barnes, and uh, the book is called Sacred Thirst. And in that book, he tells this great story that I resonated with because he also was a pastor's kid. They're, you know, they're, we're all, you know, like the stereotype says. We're, you know, really, uh, you know, knuckleheads uh, type of people. Get into trouble a lot. Um, But he tells a story in his book, Sacred Thirst, about how he was in, as a child, he was in Sunday school, you know, on Sunday morning with, and it was a smaller church, and they had a hard time finding volunteers to minister to the children in the church. And there was a sweet um, woman in the church, she was really new to the faith and everything, she was quite a story and everything, but she had experience in, in the gifting to work with children. So even though she was a little intimidated about teaching the Bible to the kids, she was a, a, a great fit, so they put her in that role, and Craig, young Craig was in this class. And she goes on and she teaches, she's teaching about the story of Noah, and she makes a mistake. She says that the ark was on the waters for, for four days and nights. Well, Craig knew that this was a mistake. It was 40 days. And he openly corrects his teacher. 
she was embarrassed and ashamed to the point, because this was something she was really nervous about, to the point where she left the room in tears. And so later that day, young Craig gets confronted by his mom, and she talks to him about how he was in the wrong. And he protested. He said, but I'm right. (laughs) And she said, someday you'll learn this, but you weren't. You weren't. You see, sometimes, even when we're right, going about it the wrong way makes us wrong. It's kind of a simple equation, really. The right thing, done the wrong ways, or maybe done at the wrong time, can end up making it wrong. The things, the the good things that we look to do, if we do them in the wrong ways, if we do them perhaps at the wrong times, can make the whole thing wrong. There is sometimes a cost of winning that uh, we don't anticipate often or, or, or unable to see because winning is the goal. And we don't consider sometimes the cost of that When I was uh, in college, I was recruited uh, in college to a very prestigious basketball league, um, church basketball league. And, you know, they saw my skill set and thought, you know, they really wanted me to be a part of this um, highly competitive and highly prestigious church basketball league. And... I immediately, you know, stepped up at the opportunity because, um, you know, it'd been a while since I played active basketball in, in high school, and I was thinking to myself that I could relive the glory days, you know what I mean? So, um, so my campus minister assembled a group of us to, to be a part of this team. He even got a, a local school building to rent, to, to open their space so we could do a little bit of practicing, and it was very clear that from the onset, as I viewed the whole team, that I was the ringer. <laughs> that, that I was the one to come and really lead the way, you know, because I was just so good. And I wasn't happy from initially about how we were practicing. I was on that, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, we, we're going to go to this tournament and we're going to lose. And I hate, listen to me, I hate Losing, okay. Why I've been a Browns fan for so long, I have no idea. But I, but now I'm excited. I just didn't want to lose. I wanted to win this highly prestigious church basketball league. And so I, uh, without realizing it, I began to dominate the practice. I began to start telling other players what they need to do and what, point out what they're doing wrong. I started openly suggesting new drills that we could do to teach us different things so that we could actually win this thing. And I had no idea that in the process I had railroaded my campus minister. And so the next practice, he was giving me a ride to, to the practice And he stopped the car, and I was ready to get out, and he just sat there. He didn't get out. So I'm like, 
okay, what's going on? And he said, you know, you hurt me. You hurt me. And I had no clue until then that my silly ambition to win at church basketball had harmed my relationship with someone that I really cared about. This is what ambition can do. This is the harm that it can, it can cause. And it's certainly at the heart of this temptation that we find in Matthew chapter four. If you wanna turn there in your Bibles, some of you brought your Bibles along. I saw you walking in with your Bibles. There's Bibles there in front of you in the pews and if you don't have one at all, take that Bible that's right there in front of you. You can bring it home. We'd love for each person to have a Bible of their own. But in Matthew chapter four, Jesus, as we have followed with these other two temptations, Jesus is led out into the desert. And what we'll find and what really all throughout scripture Uh, geographical landscape has a little bit of significance here. We understand, we get a visual of what this dry desert region would look like. It is the epitome of uh, of a 40-day and 40-night time of temptation and, and, and fasting and weariness and weakness. We can get a visual of that. And now contrast that with the other places that Satan took Jesus in order to tempt him. And last week, Pastor Steve talked to us about how he led him on top, on top of the temple. And this time, the third temptation, he leads them, him to a peak of a very high mountain. There's something significant about that, as you could imagine. You see more when you're up at those heights. If you've ever been mountain climbing, you can know a little bit what I'm talking about. And he shows them all the expanses, all the kingdoms that were around. And he says, I know you haven't spoken a lot about this, but I'm guessing that you've been a little critical of the uh, kings and presidents around here. And I'm pretty sure that you think you can do a better job. And so I'm going to give all of these to you. I'll give all of these to you. Now what's interesting about this temptation, and it's very close to some of the other things, and Pastor Steve did talk about this, uh, particularly in the first week of this series. Let's forget for a second that it's Satan doing all the tempting, because we see Satan there, and we think, okay, bad guy, Satan, you know, he's the guy you gotta resist and all of that. When we read this, it seems very plain and clear to us, does it not? But let's forget that it's Satan that's actually providing this temptation and let's think about all the good that could come if Jesus would just take over. I mean, isn't that what we pray for? When we reach, when when we're confronted with the chaos of this world, when we're watching the news, when we're praying in the midst of our own brokenness and tragedy, when, when we're out of options when we're lost and confused. Isn't that what we want? To Jesus to kind of take over (laughs) and to take control of the situation and to to do something about it? I mean, forget for a second that that it's Satan that's offering this and think about the good things, all the good things that could come if Jesus were to be on the throne, if Jesus were to be the king of of these kingdoms. Think about all the great things that could happen and that's, And we've talked about this in previous series. That's 
what the people desperately wanted in, in their state of being, in their, in their state of life. They wanted the Messiah to come and take over once and for all, to be the king, because they've seen all these other kings. They've seen the corruption. They've seen all the harm that they've caused. Isn't this what we want? We, as people of faith, we need to seriously consider and pause that what Satan is offering to Jesus is actually the answer to our prayers. That'll mess with you, won't it? Actually, the answer to what we want. You see, there is a difference, there is a distinction between the good that we recognize on the surface and the intention in the heart that goes underneath of that surface. There is a difference between what happens on the outside and, and, and what is driving it from the very inside. When we look at temptation, when we think about temptation, when we're confronted with temptation, it's easy to see the temptation from the outside but what it really aims for, what it really is targeting is in here. What you're holding on the inside, your innermost dreams and wants, your goals, your desires, your aspirations. What temptation is really hitting at are the things that you secretly want and wish for or even struggle with. It targets what's in here. It aims at the heart. The Apostle Paul, who was one of the early church leaders, uh, experienced this as well. Uh, in the book of Philippians, we find that uh, Paul is in prison. And Paul went around and he started all of these churches. And because he was really the founding father of these churches, he had a great affection for them and wanted them to really thrive but what he found was that there were people following after him, trying to discredit him, trying to uh, defame him. And it was very frustrating, trying to harm the relationship that he had with this, this church in, in Philippi. And so what we find here in uh, chapter 1, uh, starting with verse 15 in the book of Philippians, he says, Some proclaim Christ... Good thing, right? From envy and rivalry. Some of your book, uh, Bibles might say selfish ambition. But others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. But the others, the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. And Paul goes on to say, you know what? And, and really revealing Paul's own heart, say, you know what? I'm just gonna rejoice that the gospel's being preached. He's not endorsing the selfish ambition, but he, his, he's rejoicing that the gospel is actually being preached. But there is a difference, he highlights, between the people who are preaching the gospel, who are doing good things, who are representing God out of a sense and an inward intention of goodwill versus envy and, and selfish ambition. There is, 
that difference. And so Satan's offer to, to Jesus uh, doesn't end there. This is the first time that we see uh, the cost that is involved in that. He says that if you take these kingdoms, if you become, I will give you these kingdoms, you can take charge of all of these things if, if you bow down and, and worship me. I was looking around at the theme of ambition and I stumbled upon a, a TED talk from a consultant who builds her career off of helping people get what they want. Uh, she evaluates people's goals, helps people take steps to achieve those goals, and then she does it with a great deal of enthusiasm and she says, I will help you get your goals, reach your goals, and then she adds, by any means necessary. And I wonder if she really knows what she's offering. Because there are times, more times than we'd like to admit, and more times than we would even recognize, that following our ambitions, pursuing our dreams, getting what we want, comes at the harm and the detriment of somebody else. And you have to wonder if God would endorse such a thing. Uh, there's a book uh, by Andy Stanley that I, I just love. It's a short book. I love that. It's called Choosing to Cheat, and it's about marriage. And he makes the argument in this book <clears throat> that all of us have a certain reservoir. We all have a certain capacity in life, whether it's it, all kinds of currency, money, time, energy. We all have a certain capacity. And we fill those jars full of all kinds of different things, right? We have all kinds of priorities. We, we have our jobs. We have our, our family. We have um, all of these, maybe our, uh, you know, personal things, our faith, whatever it might be, we fill up in this reservoir that we have. And we don't leave margin. It's all filled with, with something. And so if we're going to give more to one particular thing, it usually comes at the detriment of something else. And what he says is that it's usually our work, usually our jobs that occupy our minds Occupy our emotions. How many of you come back home from work and just like it just spills over into your family? <laughs> it comes to the detriment of the people, the things, usually the things that you love the most. They're the things that you would say if I asked you, what are the most important things in your life? You'd probably say your faith, your family, all those things. But he makes the argument that those are the things that actually get harmed in the process. He says something's getting cheated here. And usually it's the things that we find most important. And so he, in this book, he challenges us, the reader, to cheat. He says, if something's going to get cheated, you need to be more intentional about what gets cheated. Why don't you cheat on something for God? Why don't you cheat on something so you have more time with your family investing in that? Choosing to cheat on the things that 
that take up less of your, your time, your, your energy, your, your resources, and investing them in the things that, that really, that, that you hold dear, you, that, that matter to you. And all throughout, it, there's this challenging question that asks, um, are you cheating right now? So are, are you? Are, are, do you find yourself cheating? Your priorities, your goals, your dreams, your ambitions, your passions, are you cheating on your family for those things? Are you cheating on God for those things? What is the cost for your ambitions? What's, what's the cost associated with that? This is what Jesus had to consider. Uh, he didn't consider it very long. He is the Son of God after all. Beat it, Satan. I love that response. Get out of here, Satan. And this very interesting part in the scripture because Jesus' authority comes out. He's like, okay, enough games, right? Get out of here. I'm, no, I'm not dealing with you any longer. And all of that kind of makes me chuckle a little bit, but it makes me also wonder, and maybe you wondered this as well, why couldn't he have done that at the beginning? <laughs> like if, okay, if he had that authority to jettison Satan out of his presence, why didn't he do it earlier? And does this make this whole thing kind of a charade? <laughs> well, I'm not really sure about that. And all of this goes into the questions and the mystery and the blessing of Jesus coming down on earth to live the life that we live in the first place. So I don't know exactly the why behind of that, but I gotta tell you, I'm really glad that Jesus did this. <laughs> I'm really glad that Jesus was tempted by Satan. You know why? Because you are, and, and I am. And half the time, I don't even recognize it and even if I do recognize it, I question my own power and authority to overcome it. And so I read a passage like this and I think to myself, you know what? I do have that authority. I do have that power. I do have that victory because my life is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus was victorious and so am I. And so when we face our temptations, when we, when we face um. The, the, the whispering in our minds to guide us astray and we ever wonder, are we ever going to shake this? And I know it's easier said than done, but you know what? Jesus did it. And that same power has been given to God's people. And in Jesus Christ, we stand victorious in him. Get out of here, Satan. And he adds his rebuke, by quoting uh, Deuteronomy, he says, um, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And while that is a, a direct response to Jesus' you know, terms of agreement, because he said, you know, you have to worship me. It also is an antidote to the temptation itself in ambition. And here's how that works. Worship douses the burning desires of our ambitions. 
Worship douses the burning desires of our ambitions. One of the most simplest ways to understand worship is something that one of my seminary professors taught me um, as he was going through the Old Testament and, and explaining how the Old Testament people worshiped and the practices there. He said, it really boils down to all of this. There is a God, and I'm not him. There is a God, and I am not him. There um, is a new TV show out. I don't know if you've seen this. Actually, a couple uh, TV shows now about faith and, and God and all of that. And whenever that's being addressed, I like to clue in just to see what people are saying or how they're describing God and all of that. This one happens to have Steve Buscemi playing the part of God, which is a little sad and funny at the same time, I have to admit. But um, this show is called Miracle Workers, and there's all these angels or people that work at Heaven, Inc. And they are, there's a prayer answering department, and there was one guy completely overwhelmed with all the prayers and just over his head, and so he just keeps it simple, and he's answering one little prayer at a time and feeling good about himself. But there was this young, ambitious young woman uh, or angel that came in to the, the room. She was assigned to Heaven, Inc., to help out with the prayer answering department. And she's ready to conquer the world. She's ready to answer all the prayers. And so she had this like sneaky moment where she could answer one by herself. And she did. And it was a, a prayer. This was a farmer desperate for some rain so that their crops would grow. And so she clicks the computer and, 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 and types in what to do. And all of a sudden the weather patterns change and, and provide rain for that farmer. And he's lifting up worship and praise. But what happened was the change of the weather patterns um, really disrupted the entire ecosystem, which caused flooding and torrential uh, uh, floods and, 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 and natural disasters on a different side of the planet. <laughs> and it was very clear that she realized very soon that mm, maybe she wasn't quite qualified for, for all of this. You know, we... We so desperately, you know, we want our prayers to be answered. We want to get our way. But we don't wonder, we don't consider that there might be a cost if we were to get our way. You know, there is a God and I am not him. And, you know, if I'm really honest, I got to say thank God for that. You don't want to live in a world where I get my own way. Trust me. Okay? And I'm sure we all could say the same for you. There is a God, and we are not him. That is why Jesus calls to Satan and re recites uh, Deuteronomy 10 to worship in response to the temptation of ambition. The word in the Greek... Um, I don't know if you find this interesting, is proskuneo. <laughs> proskuneo. And proskuneo is a very interesting term. It really means to prostrate oneself or to bow low. So you think of like a big courtyard with a king and someone comes in, you know, and, and bows low before the king. And that was very common in the ancient world and common still today um, in its various forms. But we get the idea, right? We bow low to show respect and reverence and honor before the king, the one that has more power 
than us. It, it is a posture term, a posture term. And it's why in the course of worship we give a simple invitation every week that if the Lord would lead you to come down at this altar and to make yourself low before God. And we don't invite you to do that because God suddenly has an extra sense of hearing to your prayers when you do that. It's, it's, it's not like then all of a sudden your prayers get louder in the ears of God. It's for you. There's something that when we change our posture in our communication with God, it signals something to us. It reminds us who God is, but also who we are. Proskuneu. It is a posture term. And it speaks to not just what we're doing physically, but it speaks to what's going on in our hearts. It is really about our heart posture or our, our life posture. And I'm wondering, in the course of our pursuits, in the, in the course of our, uh, our ambitions and in the things that we want to accomplish, what other people would say about our hearts as a result of how we live our lives. You see, Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, for where the heart, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart reveals what is the most important thing in our lives. And Jesus is saying, to make him the king, to worship him for who he is, and to live your lives in a posture that proclaims God as almighty father and ourselves as broken vessels that through his grace are made whole again. The invitation, I think, that Christ gives to us through all of these temptations is to surrender, is to give up all of ourselves, even our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our desires, the things that we want in life, to give that over. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they get swept under the rug or forgotten about. It just simply means that what we want mostly is God's will and God's ways and God's purposes. That is our invitation today to worship. Not just to worship in some songs and to hearing me babble on for a while, but to take on a posture. And not just in this space and not just on Sunday morning, but a posture of your hearts and your lives. To take, to consider your week as a week of worship and praise to God. I wonder what that would look like. I'm going to offer a prayer and, and uh, Seth's going to lead us in a, in a song of worship. And let this song just be a kickoff. A kickoff for your week of surrender of proskuneo, of, of bowing low 
to lift up the praise and the glory of God, surrendering it all, trusting that his ways are so far better than our ways. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And God, more than just coming into this place and gathering together in this way to to worship, Lord, the opportunity to worship you when we get out of bed in the morning, the opportunity to worship you when we're in the car driving to work, the opportunity to worship you when the kids are driving us crazy, Lord, the, the, the opportunity to worship you at all times in all places, which is to simply bow low our hearts before you and to offer our gratitude and our thanksgiving for who you are. So Lord, let us be a people of worship. Let us be a people of praise in all that we do. And that while we fall under attack of temptation, that whisper in our ears, even the the reasoning of how we can get good things accomplished, Lord, help us to set all that aside because our hearts are postured towards you. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship. Your grace is enough, more than I need. At your word, I will believe. I wait for you, John.
And if this is um, this series has spoken to you, um, we've had Pastor Steve and I have had several people come and and share with us, and I would invite you to come forward again and, and come talk to us here um, as as the after the service and um, in whatever way that we can listen and hear and 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 help and support and pray for you, we would um, we would love to do that. Uh, there continues to be all kinds of ways. Uh, here at the church to grow in your faith and to serve and to make your life uh, an act of worship. And so just invite you to check out the variety of uh, things that are there in your program and uh, invite you to, to fill out a connect card as well. Our offering boxes are, are there in the back. You might notice uh, a couple of things. There's a men's gathering here um, at 11 o'clock and um, we're also gonna be gearing up for, for baptisms. Um, I'm really excited about this. Uh, we are going to have a baptism Sunday on Easter. All right? So um, something I'm looking forward to. So you might be uh, praying about that, sensing that God is doing something new in you, and I'd love to be able to talk to you about that. Uh, and there's a sign-ups uh, out there on the, on the guest services desk. So go in the strength, in the face of all temptations, the strength of the Lord. His victory is your victory. Go and make your life an act of praise. In his name, amen.